0: Unfortunately, on Sunday, our sound didn't record our message and I've decided to record this message about the church in Smyrna in studio. We are busy studying the book of Revelation and we've been busy for the last four weeks. So this is week five and we started studying and looking at the church, the dispensation of grace. We firstly looked at the church in Ephesus. This is a church which has lost its first love. And we also simultaneously are looking at the parables in Matthew chapter 13. And you will see a direct correlation between the seven churches in Revelation and the seven parables in Matthew chapter 13. So let's address the church in Smyrna. It's also known as the persecuted church. And we know that in our world that we are living today, there's a lot of persecution going on. You can look in countries in the Middle East, you look at Iraq, you look in Iran, and in Syria, and a lot of those countries, if you're a Christian, you're in serious trouble. And this has happened in this church in Smyrna, in the time that John wrote down this revelation of your Lord Jesus Christ on the Isle of Patmos. Now we find our church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, and I first want to read this passage to you, and then I'll unpack it for you. So Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, I want you to think about the words which is carefully used here, the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He was an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a singular line that he says. He, singular, who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. So this message, my dear friend, wasn't only written for the people who was there in that church in Smyrna in the first century after Christ's death. No. This letter is also written to the individual, the one who hear my words today, who hear the word of God today. The Holy Spirit, while I'm reading this text, while I'm going to talk through these passages, is going to work. And it's going to work is my prayer in your heart so that this message will, will address your certain circumstances that you're in right now. He says, be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. He has an ear; let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So there is a second death, and we will address that a little bit later in this message. You know, when I read through this passage, and whenever I read through this church in Smyrna, and think about the persecuted church, it reminds me of the words that Jesus Christ spoke to Simon, Peter. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, you will recall that the Lord said to Simon, He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired for you. He desired you. The word desired means he wants to have you. Simon, it's a a warning from our Lord Jesus Christ. And why does he want him? For this reason, he says, that he may sift you as wheat. Uh, Now, I don't know if you know this, but the way that they harvested wheat in those days is around the wheat corn, there was chaff. And this chaff would sit on the wheat and and you can't use the wheat until you get rid of the chaff. So they would take the wheat and they will throw it out on a platform and they will uh, go over it and nearly crush it. But they will rub it all over it, rub it, and then they will take it and throw it up into the wind And the chaff will blow away, but the wheat will fall to the ground and they can use that wheat. Now he says here to Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, the Satan has desired for you. For what reason? For to sift you as wheat, to put pressure on you, to see if he can crush you. Now I like this next part of the verse. He says, but which is a sharp contrast. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. So the test year is for the faith of Peter not to fail. The sifting, the pressure that's going to come is to see whether his faith will last. And this is the same for this church in Smyrna. I mean, they were crushed from every side as we're going to see in a few minutes. They were sifted like wheat. And the big test here is whether to see if their their faith will fail. And we see that in this passage. And then Jesus completed his part in Luke twenty two, thirty one. He says, Oh, well, in verse thirty two, he says, And when you are converted, strengthen your brothers. Now let me say, dear brother and sister, that the persecuted church can strengthen us a lot by learning from their persecution. If you think about what Jesus said to Simon, this is exactly the same that happened to that church there in Smyrna. Now, if you think about the map of Smyrna, where it was lying, it was in a harbor side of it. First, we looked at Ephesus, and Ephesus was that great political center uh, of its day. It was a harbor. It was lying on a coastal area, Ephesus. And then if you go around about 100 kilometers north, you will come into a nice bay area. You will find the place of Smyrna. It is still there today. It's called Izmir. And it's a, it's a popular port. It was a well popular port in its daytime as well. Next week, as we're going to continue looking at Perkamos, Perkamos is 120 kilometers north of, uh, of Smyrna. But this little place, this little place called Smyrna, was lying in this bay area, and it was well known in its day. In fact, it was a thriving seaport. There was a lot of commerce happening there. Whereas uh, Ephesus was the great political center, Uh, Smyrna was the great commercial center. Because if you looked at its location, it was lying right there where it's got a gate or an access into Asia Minor. And we will also then see that uh, Pekarnum, or, or, or which we're going to look at next week, is the great religious center. So this place is a thriving seaport. It was also called the Pride of Asia or the Flower of Asia. Because in this place, the flowers that bloomed there with the with myrtle trees that was around the place gave it a beautiful... A picture for the people of the world to come and see and called the crown of Asia. Within that area is also a mountain called Pagos. Uh, and what they did is they had a lot of temples that was built around the crest of this mountain uh, in a circle format where temples there uh, dedicated to Zeus, to Heron, to Trajan. A lot of these these gods or so-called gods of the Romans and the Greeks, they built it on this crest of this mountain so that when you come from afar, it actually looked like a crown. Hence, it was also known as the crown of Asia. Imagine yourself coming with a ship into the bay and you look up onto that mountain and on the crest, you see all of these temples surrounding it looks like a crown. Uh, there was... A theater there. Uh, there was a music center there. It was known as the home of music, and there was also a huge stadium there. And as I mentioned, a lot of temples that was built there. In fact, in those days, emperor worship, the Roman emperors, the Caesars, became the order of the day, and it is well known that uh, that they started to build uh, worship places, uh, a temple to worship the Caesar. In fact, it was Tiberius Caesar who built the first one there. And once a year, all of the inhabitants of Smyrna came to this emperor's temple. And they had to walk in and bow the knee. And in front of the whole crowd, they needed to shout out, Caesar is Lord! Caesar is Lord! And you can imagine yourself being a Christian in those days. They would get the Christians, because they were living in Smyrna as well, and force them to come to the temple and bow the knee. And the anticipation is there. If you can imagine, everybody's waiting for this person to cry out, Caesar is Lord. And by by doing that, you get a permit, a permit to do business, a permit to buy. And here comes this Christian and he bows the knee and anticipation in the air, and all of a sudden he cries out, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, Jesus is Lord. So every time a year they had to come before and crown Caesar as God. But the Christians wouldn't do that. No, no, they refused to do that. In fact, there was a well-known man there called Polycarp. Polycarp lived just outside of the city. And the time came for him to go in and and cry, Caesar is Lord, but he wouldn't go. He wouldn't go to do that. So they sent a garrison of soldiers to go and fetch this man. He was 85 years old and they sent this army out. Can you imagine it? Soldiers, young men, strong, well-trained to go and arrest the 85-year-old. And history tells us that whilst he was walking into the city, that the proconsul soul didn't want to kill him. But he said, Polycarp, please come in and, and just denounce Christ. Just cry out, Caesar is Lord. You don't even have to mean that. And I'm putting it in my phrasing where Polycarp walked into that place and he said, I'm 85 years old. Jesus never denied me. How can I deny him? Jesus is Lord. Oh, I can I can just see the fury of the people growing and say, off with his head! We want to see blood. I can just imagine that. And and they said, come on, Polycarp, we don't want to kill an eighty-five-year-old. But he wouldn't deny his Christ, so they didn't give him the sword. They decided to put him on a stake and to burn him. So they put him up and. It is well recorded that he wouldn't burn. The flames started coming up and he wouldn't burn. So a soldier went up and poked him in the side. And as soon as the liquids of the body came out, he gasped and he burned to death. Polycarp died in this stadium that was built in Smyrna. No wonder, no wonder this place is called the Persecuted Church. And it's also amazing to see that our Lord, when he addresses this this place, he gives them encouragement in this time of desperate trouble you see friends persecution to these people came from two sources he came from the romans on the one side and also from the jews on the other side remember when we read through that he said there is the synagogue of satan a synagogue is associated to jews no other nation had synagogues they had this synagogue and it's called the synagogue of satan but a little bit more of that later on one more fact about Smyrna is There were these myrtle trees, and they would take the bark off the myrtle tree, strip the myrtle tree bark, and they would take this bark and they would put pressure on them. They would actually crush the bark, and that will give off a scent, uh, and they would make myrrh from these bark of these trees. And myrrh would be used to to put onto bodies when they die to give that sweet-smelling aroma to it. How befitting is it then that in this place we will have the persecuted church? In this place is the place where so much pressure has been put on Christians and to crush them. But out of that came a sweet smelling aroma. This place, Smyrma, where they made myrrh. Then it's no wonder because it leads us into the title that Jesus chooses for this church. And you would remember last week when I said and we spoke about Ephesus that Jesus choose for every single church a title applicable to their circumstances. And you'll see it here as well. Now let's look at the title that Jesus chose for this church. He says in verse 8, he says, And to the angel, which is the messenger or the pastor of the church in Smyrna, write, these things says, the first and the last. How wonderful is that? And then he says, Who was dead and came to life? That's the title he uses for this persecuted church. They were killed, they were beheaded, they were torn apart by animals, they were put on the stake to burn. And to those people, he gives two titles so befitting, so encouraging. He says, the first and the last. Now, what does it mean? It means, dear friend, that he was first before history began and then he was last when history stops. When all of this was created, he was there. And he's going to be there when all of this is come to completion. You say, so what is so great about that? Well, within that time, in between, he knows every single thing about history. If He's the first and the last, He will know everything. Now let me put it to you this way. You and I were born. We've got a date of birth. In fact, that's the day when we got breath of life. But your life started way before that. If you read Psalm 149, it says that when you were conceived in your mother's womb, He knows all about it. That's where your history with Him starts. How wonderful is that? And this is why I've got it against abortion. Because history starts at conception. You get your birth date when, when you breathe life of this air and then you die. And He knows every single part of your journey. He's there. So you cannot be lost. You cannot be not founded. Because He knows exactly where you are. Every single detail. He already knows Two weeks from now, oh, there you sit and you, you are so worked up and so worried about what's going to happen in the next two months. Know this. He's the first and He knows all about it before you even thought about it. It's too wonderful uh, for our small brains to, to anticipate what that means. That means if you come into a troubled time and things happen to you, but he knows all about it. He's the first and the last. Church in Smyrna, you're going to go through tribulation, persecution. They're going to kill you. But he is the history maker. He started it and he will end it. How wonderful is that? Then he says, another part of his title, he says, Who was dead and came to life. He's telling this to people who were staring death in the face every day of their lives. He says, I know what you're going through. Look, I was dead and I came alive. I came to life. He was brought back from dead. In fact, he was resurrected from dead. And to this people who was going to be killed all the time. Now, if you reflect back to when he said in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, he says, And the living one, this was describing Jesus Christ, and I became dead That was when he was crucified. And I am alive forever and ever. Amen. This is applicable to the title that he used. Because in verse 18, chapter 1 verse 18, he says, Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Now think about that. So many people fear death. It's one of the worst things that they can fear in their life is to die. A physical death. And here he says, I've gone through that. Now listen very carefully what I'm saying to you now. If you're a child of God, a blood-washed child of God, you should not fear death. Because our Master, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, has died. And here he tells us that he came to life. So he greets this church in those two titles for himself. Applicable to their everyday life my friend he greets you and me applicable to our daily life yes we've got struggles yes we work yes there's many things that happen to us but know this he knows your history he knows what you was going to go through even before it started and nothing can fear you more because he has conquered death death where is your sting the Bible says. Now, if you look further, in, and we look in verse nine, and now He's going to uh, commend them. He says, "I know your works, your works." It comes from that word "ergon" in in uh, in Greek, and it means practical things they've done. You know, I can imagine this church had to go underground not to be captured not to be put to the sword, not to be thrown into that stadium where Polycarp died. And maybe they had to come together at night and close the windows. Uh, Or maybe some people were walking around with parchments of the scripture. Uh, And and he knows the works. He knows the works that they've done. Uh, Think for a minute. I mean, we're going to read about in a minute where they're going to go to jail. Even to go to jail and to look after their brothers and sisters in jail, which was, which was so dangerous, they could die of that. He knows their works, the practical things they've done. In fact, in the book of James, James writes down, he says, show me your works and I'll show you my faith. And then he says, I'll show you my faith through my works. And it's so wonderful applicable to this church. Second thing he says, I know your works, tribulation. I know your tribulation. Now, tribulation, the word here is the is word for pressure. I know the pressure that you're under. And look, I've said to you before, there's a threefold application to the book of Revelation. In fact, the whole Bible. And that application is a, is a local application because it was written for the church there. But it's also a future application, a prophetic application because it talks about the church today. But a personal application is applicable to you. God knows the pressure that you are under whether it be in your home whether it be in family whether it be at your workplace he knows that pressure and how wonderful is that to know that he knows the pressure then thirdly he says there's four things that Jesus knows here first of all the works then the tribulation and now he says I know your poverty and man I can talk about this for long and long hours. The Christians in the church in Smyrna was poor. And I've got it against preachers who stand on pulpits in mega churches who's got a lot of money and they preach from the pulpit and say, you are not saved if you are not rich. I want to say to you, you are wrong. Here we deal with a church in Smyrna. They could not be rich. They were poor. And, and let me just bring you into that culture, what happened in the day. You remember they had to go to the emperor's palace and, and to the temple. They had to bow the knee and scout out Caesar is Lord. Not only if they did that, did they contain their lives, but they would get a permit. If they said Caesar is Lord, they would get a permit to be able to keep a business. They, they would be able to protect their property. But if you were a Christian and you did not do that, you did not get that permit, you would go out of business. Your property were not your property. People could walk in and take your property at any moment. In fact, let me tell you, it's happening today in Egypt. I've met an Egyptian man who told me this. Personally, He said he's a Christian and if he goes on holiday, then he can't ask the police to protect his his, his, uh, property. He would come back and somebody might have moved in or taken his, his belongings. It's the same thing that happened here. We can't be so ignorant to go into pulpits and to say to people, if you do not tie, if you don't have money to tie, let's put you on a plan to help you to tie. Because if you tie, God will bless you richly with money. That is a, that is a lie out of the pit of hell and you should not say that. It shouldn't be preached. I know of a lot of poor Christians, poor people, but serving God. They are poor because they choose God above everything in life. And here he says that I know your poverty, but then I love the next words because he says, but you are rich. How do you get this? It's total opposites here. You are poor, but you are rich. And if you think about this, this is Smyrma. We're going to get to the last church, the seventh church, which is called Laodicea. And if you think about Laodicea, let me just read this for you. Revelation 3.17. And and don't worry, we're going to get there. He says, because you say, this is the church in Laodicea, and I I believe we live in that age now. He says, because you say, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Four things that comes with that richness that church has got. They are miserable, they are wretched, they are poor, which we know. But the third thing, they are blind, and they are naked. Richness does not mean that you are a child of God. I can continue on on that point. And, it, and, and you know it, it is fascinating for me that people will preach it and there will be people sitting there and still keep on listening to that nonsense I want to say it's rubbish and it should be it should not be preached from pulpits but here we've got this church in Smyrna oh they are poor but they are rich and it reminds me what uh, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians when he writes to that church in Ephesians and listen to these words, he says to them, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All riches come from our God and Heavenly Father. And then he goes on, he says, You blessed us. Who blessed us. He's talking to children of God, blood-washed children of God. You are blessed by God. And he says, You blessed us with What? with mullah, with money? No. He blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenlies in Christ. Oh, you might be poor, but if you are rich in Christ, you are rich. And now the fourth thing that he says to this church, first the works, the tribulation, the poverty, but then he says, I know the blasphemy, the blasphemy. And where does this blasphemy comes from? From those who say they are Jews. They are Jews, they say. Remember when Paul says, Not everyone who calls himself a Jew is a Jew. And here he says, That blasphemy comes from the Jews. Let me address that first. Because then he says, But are from the synagogue of Satan. These were Jews who infiltrated the Christian church. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. He first came to his own, but they rejected him. And then to everybody. You and I are grafted into the olive tree. We are grafted into into the Jew, uh, in, into salvation through the Jews, through Jesus Christ. But here he talks to them. He, these Jews infiltrated the church, and they would go with them to services, and they would hallelujah and praise the Lord, and Jesus is Lord amongst them. But in the meantime, in the meantime, they will take down notes, and they will. They will betray these Christians, give them over to the Roman authorities to be killed in that stadium where Polycarp died. But he says, I know the blasphemy. So it's well documented in those days when they came together for communion, the Christians, the one thing that Christ says, do this in remembrance of me. They would come together. And then this smear talk will go around town and saying, that these people are cannibals. Can you imagine? they eating flesh. They even stand there and say, this is my body broken for you. They eat flesh. And then they drink blood because they say, this is the blood of the new covenant. Now to you and me as, as children, Christians today, it doesn't make sense. We will laugh about it. Go, what are you talking about? But not in those days. Oh no. Oh no, they were smear campaign and they said, you don't want to hang out with that crowd, do you? Honestly, you want to eat fresh? You want to drink blood? You, 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 you must be losing it. So, uh, and then the members of the church will say, brother and sister, I love you. Men will kiss each other on the cheek. Women will greet each other with with, with embraces. And then the smear campaign will come and say, Oh, that group, when they get together, oh, that's a sexual orgies going on. You should see what's happening there. It's all smear campaign to disown them, to say, oh, you don't want to be part of that, do you? Do you honestly want to take your children there? So that's happened in the order of the day. Friend, let me tell you, there is a smear campaign going on in the church today. And the smear campaign is against the word of God. The churches do not want to preach the word of God anymore. It's all these wishy-washy, no-nonsense popcorn that's going on. We've got stage light smoke machines. We want to hype up the crowd. We want to preach for five minutes and then hump, skip and jump for, for the rest of the time. That is... And then if, if you hear somebody preaching the word of God and doing expositive preaching, oh, oh no, 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 no that's old, that's all dusty. No, we need to get into the time. And this is where the spirit of the world entered into the church. So he says, I know of the blasphemy. I know of all of these things that's happening. And now in verse 10, he says, do not fear any of those things, any of those things that, that I know of, that I told you. The persecution, the smear campaigns, the Jews who say they are Jews and they're not, and they come from the synagogue of Satan. How hard is that word for them? Synagogue of Satan. Remember when Jesus was amongst them, He says, Your father is Satan, Lucifer himself, speaking lies. He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation. Ten days, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Look, there's three words of encouragement here, which I quickly want to discuss with you. First of all, he says that you may be tested. You say, but how is that a word of encouragement? How is it that if you're going to tell I'm going to go through a test and tribulation, how can that be encouragement? The fact of the matter that I'm warning you it's coming is encouragement. Think of that. And then secondly, you think about the fact that he knows already that they're going to be tested. In other words, they are not going to be alone in this. He's there with them every single step of the time. Hebrews says he's our high priest which was tempted just like we were tempted. So here again, he says that you may be tested. God knows about your tests. That is so encouraging. You see, prison was a test in their days, and they were going to be thrown in. He says you will be tested, and they're going to throw some of you into prison. How is prison a test in their day? Well, it's not the same as our prisons these days. Don't have PlayStations and Xboxes, heated flooring, nice comfy beds didn't have all of these nice food coming to you on trays, eat cream de la cream. That's two, prison today for you. One. No, no. In those days, it was a real test. In those days, if you go to prison, it was it was uh, there was no food there. There's no place there's no food wasn't there, but there were no nice beds there. It was a dungeon. And you can imagine dripping water dark. And look, people didn't give them food no 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 if you were a child of god if you were christian other christians had to go to to the prison and bring your food now think of that that puts you in the line of danger because you're associated with this person who will not shout out caesar is lord who will only shout jesus is lord and they could grab you there and they can ask you to bow the knee and shout caesar is lord so tests did come some of them might have died with, without food. That's a, that's a terrible test. So the encouragement here is, is that he knows about it and he knows how you will endure. Look, tests is not for God to see how you will react. It's for you to see how you will react and how your faith has grown. The second word of encouragement here is tribulation for 10 days. He says it there. He says... He will throw you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Now 10 days here is not literal 10 days. Uh, We know that in the Bible, when you talk about days, you need to understand it. When when Peter writes about a thousand years is like one day, you need to understand how that works. And here is the same. It's not 10 literal days and then, oh, well, it's over. In fact, what I just said is an encouragement because he tells them a specific time. That means, dear friend, that their tribulation, their persecution, and, and yours. You might be in the middle of something today. It means that there comes an end to that test. It's not going to continue forever. And you say, but wait a minute, I could lose my life. Well, the day that you lose your life is the end of that test. And we're going to get to that part in a minute. Because there is life after death for you so he says 10 days there and uh, scholars reckon that it it pointed towards the 10 emperors that were coming and it it started so it started with a man by the name of domitian and domitian was very very harsh on christians and he went on and persecuted christians and put them to the wild animals and killed them with the sword and after him, another 10 emperors came after. He went, another one came. And then it ended at the 10th one, Diocletian. 10 emperors. And then the church persecution changed. Uh, so the encouragement here is, there is an end to it. I always say to people which go through trouble that the storm will not last forever. You might be in day two of the storm and you look out and say, where is the sun? But maybe tomorrow he's there. You go to bed, the next morning you wake up and there's no sun. It's still pouring down and thunderstorms and, and you go to bed that night saying maybe tomorrow and the next morning you wake up and the sun is out. And there's a freshness in the air. Know this tonight, know this today, that there is an end to tribulation and tests. Now the third thing he says for encouragement is I will give you the crown of life. Now I love this one because the crown of life is a special reward. He says I'll give this to you. It's a special crown for suffering. In James chapter 1 verse 12 he says blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now I want you to listen carefully because James this wasn't written for them for Smyrna. Although yes it was but. Just bear with me. That was written for you and for me. James chapter 1, verse 12. Think of this. Blessed is the man who endures temptation because having been approved. In other words, you've you've, you've, you've been successful. Having been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, let's think about this. What is the name of this crown? The crown of life. What does it mean? It means that it is eternal life. It is a crown of life. Now this excites me very much because you and I, although we're not in Smyrna, although we might not be in Iraq and be killed for our faith, but we're also, according to James chapter 1, verse 12, tested every day. Until we die, we will be tested every single day or until the Lord tarries to come and take us with the rapture. That means, friend, that this crown of life is talking here about smirma. You and I, if you're a blood-washed child of God, will receive this crown. The crown of life. Eternal life. Now, just to prove it more, I want to read to you now from the book of John. Because in John, he explains it to us perfectly. In John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's wonderful. And then he says to us in verse 4, in John chapter 1 verse 4, he says to us so beautifully, he says, In Him was life. In who? In Jesus Christ. In the Word was life. Now he goes on to say, And the life was the light of men. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then He he gives us this. And look at verse 14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory, the glory, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Now that life, dear friend, He brought for you and for me. He talks about eternal life. We have life in the Son. Now, if I turn over to John chapter 20. And we find this fantastic scripture verse here, which will explain what I say. In verse 30, he says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. What is that other than the crown of life? Friend, these people receive a crown of life for what they suffered. You and I are also suffering. Although some of us might be killed by the sword or by whatever means for our faith. But we are also, according to James chapter 1, attested and tempted. And we will receive the crown of life. How wonderful is that? Now let me finish. In verse 11, he says to us, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That talks to you and me. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And this is where we need to take some time. What is the second death? What is he talking about here? He says that man can die twice. Twice. First death, second death. First death is a physical death. This old body going to the ground, dying. The second death is a spiritual death. But let's see what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 20 verse 1. I read for you. He says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven and having the keys of the abyss and great chain in his hand and laid hold of the dragon. That old serpent who was the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years. And he cast him into the abyss and shut him up and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled. We've already addressed this in chapter one. There cometh a thousand years where the reign of Jesus Christ will be literally and physically set up on this earth. In Jerusalem, this is what he talks about. Satan will be bounded for a thousand years. And after that he must be loosed a little time. And I saw thrones and they sat on them. And judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and the word of God. He talks about the people in Smyrna here. He talks about people dying for their faith. And now he goes on to say a bearded for witness of the word of God and who had not worshipped the beast nor his image. Caesar is Lord. No, I'm not going to say it. I will not worship that. I will say Jesus is Lord. And then he goes on and he talks about a prophetic year. He goes, he says, nor has received the mark on their foreheads, nor in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. A thousand years we're going to reign with Christ. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And friend, you want to be part of that first resurrection. To reign with Christ a thousand years. The rest of people who die without Jesus Christ is going to sit in Hades. Not the lake of fire. I'm coming there. In Hades for a thousand years waiting for their judgment. While the rest, while the blood was children of God, the Christians is going to reign on this earth with Christ as kings and priests. How do you want to miss that? For a little bit of pleasure today, you want to miss that. For a little bit of pleasure, pleasure maybe for 30, 40, 50 years of, of pleasure on this earth, you want to miss, you want to sit in Hades and miss reigning that and you want to wait for the second death. It's terrible. It breaks my heart to see young people being so ignorant of what I'm telling you now. But I know why. It's because it's not preached from the pulpits anymore. There is a literal hell coming for people who, who are not Christians, who do not. And I'm, I'm saying Christian loosely here. Uh, I should say children, blood-washed children of God. Because every single person wants to claim to be a Christian these days. Verse twenty of uh, verse six, chapter twenty, verse six, Revelation. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. The only ones who will be blessed and holy is the ones who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no authority over these. There comes our word, second death, out again. To the church in Smyrna, he says that you will receive a crown of life and not be part of the second death. But they will be priests of God in Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. But it continues. Verse 11, Revelation 20 11, And I saw a great white throne and, and him sitting on it, from whose the face of the earth and heaven fled away, and a place was not found for them. And I saw the dead, the small and the great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was opened the book of life. Book of life. And the dead were judged. Out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Listen what he says. Remember, this is the second resurrection. These people are resurrected to get a judgment. A judgment. A penalty for sin. Sin equals death. There cometh a penalty for sin. This is why Jesus Christ went to the cross to take your and my sin on himself so that we do not have to stand at this place and be judged according to our works. I can't be more serious about this. This is a serious message. Every single person will be judged according to your works. And the sea gave up the dead in it, and the death in hell delivered the dead in them. And each one of them was judged according to it. It's repeated twice there in verse 12 and in verse 13. You will be judged according to your works. Sin will bear a judgment. Sin will bear a judgment. It will bear a judgment. God loves you. God is a loving God, but He hates sin. And sin must be judged. And 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 you can only take care of sin while you're alive. You can't after you die take care of that. And they would according to uh, verse 14, and death in hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second. What is the second death? The lake of fire. At this point in time, friend, the lake of fire is empty. There's nobody there. It's empty. And I know who's going to be the first resident of the lake of fire. It's going to be Lucifer himself. And then following Lucifer is going to be all of those souls, which we just saw here, who's going to be judged according to their works, according to their sinful works. You will be judged. And then you'll be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Whilst the rest, your family who served God, who was was made a mockery of, who you were ashamed for, you said, oh, I can't be associated with you guys, I'm ashamed of you. They will be sitting with Christ as kings and priests while you will be taking residence in the lake of fire. Listen to me, dear friend. Listen to me, young people. This is the place of residence why would you want to go to that place for 30 40 50 years of joy on this earth of living a a reckless life a sinful life not listening to the winning warning of god think of that and if anyone was not found having been in the book of life he was cast into the lake of fire that's a terribly sad verse and it's true that only god through jesus christ can keep you safe from this death only God can do that and I seriously ask that God that God touch your heart through that and listen to this message I want to end up by comparing this letter to the church in Smirma to the second parable in Matthew 13 I read in this passage in Matthew 13, verse 24, another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Good seed. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, tares and wheat, when they sprout and come up out of the ground, looks exactly the same. Exactly the same. Think about this. Smyrna, he says the Jews who said they were Jews, but they were part of the synagogue of Satan. They were the tares amongst the true good seed, the Christians in the church, the polycarps of the day. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Behold, sir, didn't you not only sow good seed in the field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, The enemy has done this. This is the work of the enemy. This is the work of that old snake, Satan, the liar, Lucifer. That's his work. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? Oh, I know that a lot of people would love to gather and clean the church today. But listen to what Jesus said. But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tears, you also may uproot the wheat with them. I've seen it in my life how... Uh, There was an effort made to uplift the tears and wheat. There's a lot of people who got hurt through church. A lot of people. Because of these tears coming in and choking the wheat. A lot of people, dear saints that I know personally, is lying along the way like wrecks broken down. He says, no, don't do that. Let both grow together until the harvest What happens at the harvest? He says it there, And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, like a fire, to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. There's two groups of people here, and you can be part of either or. You can be part of the tares, grow up with the wheat, experience the blessing with the wheat. Think of this. Abram and Lot. Lot called by God, blessed by God. Lot's a follower. It's God blessed Abram. Lot received some of the blessing. Weeds and tares. As water is going in amongst those plants, the weeds grabs up the water, the tares get some of the water. The same blessing, same blessing comes. But there cometh a day when a separation comes. The tares have been taken out and they go to be burned, whilst the wheat the wheat are gathered into his barn. I want to be a wheat. I want to be gathered into his barn. Where do you want to be? Do you want to be a tear and go to the second death? Into this lake of fire, the spit? For what? For thirty or forty years of fun? For not being mocked because you are a tear or a, a wheat, I should say, my friend, this is a serious message about a church. They were persecuted, but there's no condemnation here. There's no harsh word from God to them. It's only encouragement. My prayer is for you to, if you if you don't know Christ, is to turn to Him, to cast your burdens unto Him. But look, He's not only a burden carrier; He's a sin carrier. You need to come to him and bow your knee. Repent of your sins, as the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us your sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Bow your knee, repent. Then shout out, Jesus is Lord, accept him as your Savior, and allow him to, to change your life. God bless.